Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 16, verses 9 to 14, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Now, I need to make a quick comment before we continue. In many of your Bibles, you will find a statement that says, in brackets, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. The study notes for the NIV Bible say this, and I quote, Scholars almost universally agree that this section is a later attempt, perhaps by a second century scribe, to rectify the perceived problem of verse 8. The earliest and best manuscripts do not have these verses. They are unknown to a number of early church fathers, and the vocabulary and style differ from the rest of Mark. End quote. What is that perceived problem? It is how abruptly Mark ends, with the women running from the tomb, being amazed at what they have learned. On the contrary, this sudden ending fits well with the writing style of Mark and leaves the reader wondering, what will I do with the risen Jesus? With all of that said, though, these verses are still included as Christians for the mass majority of church history have had these verses, and a man like J.C. Ryle was not hindered from giving comment on them. For a greater discussion on this, I will leave a link to John MacArthur's helpful sermon on these verses in the show notes. Mark, chapter 16, verses 9 to 14. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and harshness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us mark in these verses... What abundant proof we have that our Lord Jesus Christ really rose again from the dead. In this one passage, Mark records no less than three distinct occasions on which he was seen after his resurrection. First, he tells us our Lord appeared to one witness, Mary Magdalene, then to two witnesses, two disciples walking into the country, and lastly to eleven witnesses, the eleven apostles all assembled together. Let us remember, in addition to this, that other appearances of our Lord are described by other writers in the New Testament, beside those mentioned by Mark. And then, let us not hesitate to believe that of all the facts of our Lord's history, there is none more thoroughly established than the fact that he rose from the dead. There is great mercy in this. The resurrection of Christ is one of the foundation stones of Christianity, It was the seal of the great work that he had come on earth to do. It was the crowning proof that the ransom he paid for sinners was accepted, the atonement for sin accomplished, the head of him who had the power of death bruised, and the victory won. It is well to remark how often the resurrection of Christ is referred to by the apostles. He was delivered up for our offenses, says Paul, and was raised again for our justification. 
Romans 4.25. He has begotten us again to a living hope, says Peter, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3. We ought to thank God that the fact of the resurrection is so clearly established. The Jew, the Gentile, the priests, the Roman guard, the women who went to the tomb, the disciples who were so hesitant to believe, are all witnesses whose testimony cannot be denied. Christ has not only died for us, but he has also risen again. To deny it shows far greater credulity than to believe it. To deny it, a man must put credit in monstrous and ridiculous improbabilities. To believe it, a man has only to appeal to simple, undeniable facts. Let us mark, secondly, in these verses, our Lord Jesus Christ's singular kindness to Mary Magdalene. We are told that when he had risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. To her before all others of Adam's children was granted the privilege of being first to behold a risen Savior. Mary, the mother of our Lord, was yet alive. John, the beloved apostle, was yet upon earth. Yet both were passed over on this occasion in favor of Mary Magdalene, a woman who at one time had probably been chief of sinners, a woman who at one time had been possessed by seven devils, was the first to whom Jesus showed himself alive when he rose victorious from the tomb. The fact is remarkable and full of instruction. We need not doubt, for one thing, that by appearing first to Mary Magdalene, our Lord meant to show us how he much he values love and faithfulness. Last at the cross and first at the grave, last to confess her master while living and first to honor him when dead, this warm-hearted disciple was allowed to be the first to see him when the victory was won. It was intended to be a perpetual memorial to the church that those who honor Christ, he will honor, and that those who do much for him upon earth shall find him even upon earth doing much for them. May we never forget this. May we ever remember that for those who forsake all for Christ's sake, there is a hundredfold now in this present time. We need not doubt for another thing that our Lord's appearing first to Mary Magdalene was intended to comfort all who had become penitent believers after having run into great excesses of sin. It was meant to show us that, however far we may have fallen, we are raised to entire peace with God if we repent and believe the gospel. Though before far off, we are made near. Though before enemies, we are made dear children. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The blood of Christ makes us completely clean in God's sight. We may have begun like Augustine and John Newton, and been ringleaders in every kind of iniquity, but once brought to Christ, we need not doubt that all is forgiven. We may draw near with boldness and have access with confidence. Our sins and iniquities, like those of Mary Magdalene, are remembered no more. Let us mark, lastly, in these verses, how much weakness there is sometimes in the faith of the best Christians. Three times in this very passage we find Mark describing the unbelief of the eleven apostles. Once, when Mary Magdalene told those who our Lord had risen, 
they believed not. Again, when our Lord had appeared to two of them as they walked, we read of the residue, neither believed him. Finally, when our Lord himself appeared to them as they sat at table, we are told that he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Never perhaps was there so striking an example of man's unwillingness to believe that which runs contrary to his early prejudices. Never was there so remarkable a proof of man's forgetfulness of plain teaching. These eleven men had been told repeatedly by our Lord that he would rise again. And yet, when the time came, all was forgotten, and they were found unbelieving. Let us, however, see in the doubts of these good men the overruling hand of an all-wise God. If they were convinced at last, who were so unbelieving at first, how strong is the proof supplied us that Christ rose indeed. It is the glory of God to bring good out of evil. The very doubts of the eleven apostles are the confirmation of our faith in these latter days. Let us learn from the unbelief of the apostles a useful practical lesson for ourselves. Let us cease to feel surprise when we feel doubts arising in our own heart. Let us cease to expect perfection of faith in other believers. We are yet in the body. We are men of like passions with the apostles. We must count it no strange thing if our experience is sometimes like theirs, and if our faith, like theirs, sometimes gives way. Let us resist unbelief manfully. Let us watch and pray and strive to be delivered from its power. But let us not conclude that we have no grace because we are sometimes harassed with doubts, or suppose that we have no part or lot with the apostles because at seasons we feel unbelieving. Let us not fail to ask ourselves, as we leave this passage, whether we have risen with Christ and have been made partakers spiritually of his resurrection. This, after all, is the one thing needful. To know the facts of Christianity with the head and to be able to argue with them with the tongue will not save our souls. We must yield ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Romans 6.13 We must be raised from the death of sin and to walk in newness of life. This and this only is saving Christianity. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. And may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, in the West particularly, we have emphasized the cross above the resurrection. You cannot have the resurrection without a cross first. But a cross without a resurrection means we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Do our hearts rightly emphasize the importance of this great, undeniable fact of the resurrection? Is it a cause of great joy even as you think of it now? Second, do we believe that the same Jesus who appeared first to Mary is the same Jesus who shows compassion on all who believe in the gospel? Do we see a Jesus who is stingy and skeptical, or a Jesus who joyfully pardons? And third, how do we respond when we or other Christians doubt? Are we harsh on ourselves and others? 
or are our hearts filled with grace? At the same time, do we watch and pray against unbelief as the sin it is, or do we let it fester?